Here's the new hit from Sam oh, and Chase. Okay. Everyone's Music, surfing. Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's our Holsteins. <laughs> could drink out of the bunghole, and no man dared call him coward. <laughs> Welcome to episode 20 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 and under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. We are so glad that you're listening today. Season 2 is sponsored by Greek's Pizzeria. Order your delicious pizza at greekspizzeria.com today. Greek's Pizzeria, it's our taste. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined as always by... Blaine Zimmerman. And our producer and vice presidential expert, Russ Slivka. Gentlemen, how's the day been going so far? Fantastic. Yeah? Yeah. Russ, yeah about you? Pretty good. Good? Shot some hoops in the front yard oh, with the kids. Oh, did you? Yeah. How'd you play? Um, we were mostly rebounding for That's the children. Servant leadership right there. It's awfully <laughs> kind of you. Shagging balls mm-hmm. is what that's called. Russ, what'd you do today? I don't think that's called shagging balls. I, think that, I thought that's called shagging. I'm sure. Hmm. It's different, different in the British. Right. Com- I mean, Ryan was in show choir. He would know. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> By playing football for three years, I mean that I was on the team, and mostly I just liked wearing the jersey on How Fridays. How those little child ears of yours fit in a helmet? Wow. The helmet was really large. <laughs> <laughs> I looked like Lord Helmet from Spaceballs, basically. <laughs> Where's all Ah, oh, there he brothers, is. Brothers, cousins, roommates, sister. Ah. <sighs> Prepare ship for ludicrous speed. We need to watch Spaceballs sometime altogether. Oh, Blaine, we're uh, we're on episode 20, and you picked the books. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think tonight you also picked the booze that we're drinking. So give the good people a little bit of why we picked this book and all about it. All right, correct. So this book is called Garfield. That can't be the full title. Garfield. Wow. It's pretty basic. By Alan Peskin. Mm-hmm. It was written in 1978. It Ooh. comes in at 613 pages. Ooh. And I have to say that... This is probably in the top two or three of book covers of any that we have. Yeah, it's really cool. I don't know who drew this. Uh, would you call that a caricature? I think that the cover of the book is actually one of the campaign like cartoon ads. Okay. From when he was running for president. Yeah. Because it comes up later in the book. It's not a life size. Or right. Like comes across life. as a caricature. Yeah. Like he's standing with his feet apart and his hands in his pockets and his head is extremely oversized. <laughs> He's got very small legs. Yeah. Yeah. So if you get a chance, just Google Garfield by Alan Peskin. You'll be able to see what we're talking about. The name of this episode is The Preacher. Thank you. That's one of your roles on this team is you name the episodes. The booze for tonight, I found out, well, a couple things. So one, we have a new mystery alcohol sponsor for the podcast. And so this Fiero loving man has sponsored the alcohol moving forward for us. I found out that there is actually a Garfield Brewery. On the south side of Indianapolis, right outside Garfield Park, I stopped by there today and I grabbed a couple of growlers of El Presidente. What? Their Mexican lager. That's fantastic. So uh, shout out to Josh at the Garfield Brewery and we are drinking El Presidente. So if you live on the south side of Indianapolis, check out Garfield Brewery. Cheers. And cheers to James Garfield. There's Russ. There he is. Cheers. That's delightful. What is this, a lager you said? Mexican lager. El Presidente. A la Dos Equis Corona. Yeah. 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 Have you ever had Pacifico? Oh, yes. Man, do I love me some Pacifico. That is that is tasty stuff. We are 20 presidents in, and we are 9,254 pages read. That's a lot. An average of 463 pages per POTUS for anyone who cares besides wow. me. Wow. 463 per uh, per guy. So, by the way, if you love this podcast and you want to get episodes early and ad-free, you can join our Patreon community for as little as five bucks a month at patreon.com slash presequential. For five bucks more a month, you can also get our exclusive bonus episodes on all kinds of other influential Americans sent to you via email. So sign up today at patreon.com slash presequential. Gentlemen, what do you remember about James Garfield from high school government class? Uh, love lasagna, hated Mondays. Okay. Oh, jeez. Can't take Slept you in a small box. Mm-hmm. Like with a, his owner was named John. Uh, Odie was his best friend. Oh, I know. I not? know what Garfield the cats. That's not him. No. Oh. Please tell me you don't have pages of notes on Garfield the cat for tonight. This, this might be a short episode. <laughs> Do you remember anything about James Garfield the man, the president? Killed. Okay. Russ, you? Yeah, he was shot. 
Yeah. That's what I remember. That's all I remember as well. Isn't that sad? That's all we remember about the guy? That's about it. I didn't even really know what he looked like until I saw the, the cover of the book. So let's dive into his early life, his education, and man, we're going to have a good time tonight. We're on number 20. I can't I believe so. we've got through the, 20. There's things about Garfield that I find exciting. Actually, uh, my grandparents just visited his uh, museum house in Ohio and okay. brought back some magnets for me. Nice. And a book of the love letters written between him and Lucretia. Yeah. Or Crete, Crete, as Crete. he called her, mm-hmm. that I think was signed by like his great grandson. That's cool. Which we can get into later when we talk about okay. like how his estate yeah. came back to be in the public. But Fun. that was cool. They they literally just came back that. like yesterday and dropped that stuff off to, to show me. I got to check out his tomb next time. My in-laws live in Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. and that's where he is uh, interred. Actually, he's not even interred. What do you call it when you're in, when the casket's just there? Mm. He's not buried. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Well, that's cool. So to grandparents. The casket's and to, just there. It's just Lazy. Because they didn't do their job. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Garfield again. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to have to bury him at some point. Do we have to? Can we just leave him out here? Anyway, all right. So James Garfield was born the youngest of five kids on November 19th, 1831 in Orange Township, Ohio. One thing about this book, once again, written in 1978, it refers to the War of 1812 as, quote, eliminating the Indian menace. So I think it's safe to say the rules have changed a bit about how we talk about things. (laughs) The lexicon. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit of change in the past 40 years. Yes. His parents, Abram and Eliza Garfield, were their names, but he would be the last of seven presidents to be born in log cabins and was preceded by Jackson, Taylor, Fillmore, Buchanan, Lincoln, and Grant, who are all... Famously Lincoln. Yes, that's right. About father... uh Uh-huh. Father. Abram? Abraham? Abram. Abram. Abram Abram was Abraham's name before he became Abraham. Very but that's like famous podcast. around his community. Yep. Right? Wrestler. He was tall and strong, and he won fame as the champion wrestler for miles around. Another Lincoln yeah. reference. He weighed over 200 pounds, recalled an admiring nephew, and could take a barrel of whiskey by the chime and drink out of the bunghole, and no <sighs> man dare called him coward. Okay. So this is... <sighs> yep. There was an actual term mm-hmm. called a bunghole? He could drink out of the bunghole. And no man dared call him coward. He was oh, also, man. he was known as Cornholio. Corn- uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That was his dad's nickname. Oh, my goodness. I drink whiskey from the bunghole. Well, <laughs> well, Beavis Garfield soon after died. He was at the age of 33 when Abram must have drunk too much from the bunghole. Well, he, he died, uh, leaving his wife, Eliza, and his four young children in a large farm that she was ill-equipped to handle. So young James barely knew his, well, he didn't know his dad at all. He, he just heard about him as he grew up, but he was just two years old at the time and not having a dad during his formative years would influence him for many years to come. I should say about 40 miles away from the Garfield cabin, work was being completed on a covered bridge in Newton Falls, Ohio, when Garfield was being born. And that covered bridge is the oldest still operating covered bridge in the state of Ohio, which is kind of still fun. exists, still exists and still operating. It's was it in cool. Madison County? Ohio. No. Is it one of the bridges? Is that the Madison only County? covered bridges reference that we can come up with? Well, no, I was thinking that uh, was a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. Bridges yeah. in Madison County. Which, Mad- which state was that? Was that Ohio? I don't know. Because there's a Madison County, Indiana. Sure is. Yeah. You and there's probably a covered bridge there. <laughs> Anyway, so they basically are, you know, struggling. It's it's not good for the Garfields. Dad's dead, and Mom has four young mouths to feed. Uh, she sells off most of their land just to pay the bills, and the little remaining land she and her oldest son, Thomas, farmed together. And this just gave them enough money to keep the family together rather than hand off the children to other relatives to raise. As a kid, James was enamored with adventure novels like Robinson Crusoe, and he imagined a career as a sailor out on the open water. As a teenager, he got a job managing a team of mules that towed barges along the new canals in that region of the U.S. on the Great Lakes. That was about as far as his seafaring adventures would get. During his six weeks working on the canals, Garfield fell overboard 14 times. (laughs) (laughs) That's an average of almost two and a half times a week of nearly (laughs) drowning. 
One night, trying to coil a loose rope, James lost his balance and fell into the water. It was late at night and no one could hear his cries for help. He finally grasped a rope and pulled himself from the stagnant waters. As he composed himself, he noticed the rope, which he had used to save himself from drowning, was not was tied not off. attached to anything. It was just a magic rope. Dude, seriously. Mama it, said this was my magic rope. <laughs> He surmised that perhaps this was some intervention on God's part to save uh-huh. his life for something. So he not only almost drowns uh, in six weeks, but he catches malaria while he's working on the canal. So he's like, mm, probably seafaring is not for me. Uh, family raises enough money to send him to school. How old is he at this point? These are his teenage years, I believe. Okay. Yeah. He works as a carpenter and a part-time teacher while attending Geauga Academy located in Chester, Ohio. A little bit of foreshadowing because his future vice president would be... Chester Just, Arthur. Oh, thanks, Russ. Yeah. Oh, I forgot we have an expert on that. That's right. <laughs> uh, he supported himself with a part-time teaching position at a district school. And at age 18 in 1850, he experienced a religious conversion and was baptized into the denomination of his parents, the Disciples of Christ. Which is why we named the episode The Preacher, because yes. he became a relatively fervent disciple of Christ, I think would be the way mm-hmm. to put it. And he was an extremely good order. Like most people thought he was yep. going to go into the ministry. Yes. He fancied himself a reformer, identifying with the anti-slavery beliefs of the new Republican Party. From 1851 to 54, he studied, this is an interesting name for a school, the Eclectic Institute yes. in Hiram, Ohio, and earned his living as a school janitor. Which he be, he like honed his debating skills he became a master debater there you're right blaine (laughs) james garfield did become a master debater while at the eclectic institute of Hiram, ohio in 1854 at the age of 23 james entered williams college in western massachusetts he was one of the oldest students enrolled there and in the same year Mm -hmm. and this was wild enough to me i wrote it down tasted his first banana (laughs) what What? he was 23 years old at williams college the first time he tasted a banana (laughs) that's awesome yeah i love that he probably wrote it about in his diary he was a very this is wild yeah wow like apparently you're not supposed to eat the outside (laughs) my first banana sucked my second one was great (laughs) i used to have these leg cramps and they went away Oh, while at Williams, he enjoyed hunting, fishing, billiards, drinking, and eating bananas. Bananas. Um, And he refused to take the temperance pledge. He also enjoyed the ladies dating three young women at the same time. He eventually fell in love with Lucretia, or Crete as she was known to her family and friends, Rudolph, one of his classmates at the Eclectic Institute. She was very attractive, and he liked that she equaled his appetite for knowledge. She taught school while James finished his studies. That was not the only appetite he had. He was not a small human. No, he was large. Yeah. He was like his dad. That's what the, that's the appetite joke. Ah, got it. There it is. Because he's beefy. (laughs) Now, now I get it. Now I get it. I've had three sips of my El Presidente from Garfield Brewery. Hopefully a future sponsor. Actually, he did share with me right around the time this will release, they will have a new beer coming out called... 1881 lager, I think. Hey, cool. Yeah. That's fun. So if you're listening, try the 1881 as long as they didn't change the name. So he graduates in 1856 from Williams, and he returns to the Eclectic Institute where he teaches English, history, geology, and math, and was by this time an ordained minister in the Disciples Movement. I think you're cutting him short a little bit by saying that he returned to the Eclectic Institute. Okay. He, upon graduation became the president of yes. the school. He was like 26, wasn't Which he? Which is, like, imagine that. Yeah. Just for a moment. Like, you're a senior at, I don't know, whatever random school, Valpo. Okay. And you graduate, and they're like, do you want to be the president of Valpo? Yeah, I actually do. Like, That's what I was hoping you would ask. <laughs> it's, like, it's a wild jump, right? Also, here's a banana. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. He's like, well, I mean, as long as you keep these coming. Let me show you how to peel it. Take it out of your mouth. Take it out of your mouth. Uh, from 1857 to 61, he served as president of the Institute, like you said, and he was elected as the youngest member of the Ohio Senate. During this time, on November 11th, 1858, he and Lucretia were married after five years of being an item. He studied law on his own, and he passed the Ohio Bar Exam in 1861, joining the ranks of many presidents who uh, have been or are lawyers. So he didn't have to take the bar. They basically told him that he would be able to get through on his own merits. 
and that he had enough background to be able to become a lawyer. And he, as a high character individual, mm-hmm. decided, no, I need to take it. Yeah. So, which I, I think that's a big point. It's in an the admirable positive quality of James yeah. Garfield. Way yeah. to go, James. We're entering the time of the Civil War here. <laughs> Garfield joins the Union <laughs> Army at age 29. 42nd Ohio. Yeah, during the outbreak of war against the Confederates in 1861. In mid-August 1861, he organized the 42nd Ohio Infantry, rising from lieutenant colonel to full colonel within just a few weeks. Now, Blaine, how long? Totally that, normal. Totally normal. Happens how, all the time. How long would that take normally? To go, to go from, from joining the military to colonel? Yeah. 25 years. Okay. How long would it take, on average, to go from lieutenant colonel to full full colonel? <sighs> Give or take. I would say somewhere between five to eight. Okay. So this was done in a few weeks. Yeah, that's normal. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. For this section of this episode, I'm going to lean heavily on you and your knowledge of the American Civil War. Blaine? I'm on Field Notes, book number four. Whew. Let's do it. So he learned tactics and drills with wooden blocks, like literally taught himself military Hmm. movements by like putting, like think about playing chess, right? So he put it out and he would put the different like movements, like a frontal attack or a uh, flanking maneuver. I'm going to lean heavily on your expertise (laughs) about the American He would learn about different movements, like a frontal attack or a flanking maneuver or an envelopment, like by Mm. doing it with blocks on the ground. Similar to like how somebody would teach themselves how to play chess by playing against themselves, right? Like learn like, well, if I do this, then here's the four moves they can make. His soldiers really respected that about him, that he wasn't, you know, like schoolhouse trained, didn't go to West Point, things Mm -hmm. like that. He taught it himself and it caused his soldiers to really like have more faith in him. Hmm. And typically like that translates pretty well to the battlefield. So he ends up going to Paintsville where he's going against Marshall, famous rebel general, right? Basically scares Marshall to death because Marshall's not real sure what he's supposed to prepare for. Hmm. Uh, Doesn't know anything about the opposing colonel. Doesn't know what type of forces he's against. And he's also like, completely outrun his own supply line so Hmm. he's not real sure what he can actually accomplish so he decides like well we'll just stick it out and see what happens okay he ends up winning against marshall without firing a single shot because marshall gets cold feet and retreats afterwards they're kind of like scouring the countryside trying to like rouse up support get some extra supplies and stuff like that and they run into some real backwoods folk right like think deliverance type Like these folks legit did not know exactly what the Civil War was or what was going on. They basically were just told by random, you know, rebel, we'll call them public affair officers going house to house that the Yanks were coming to slaughter them. But they weren't sure what Yanks were or what they looked like. I imagine they're coming up and they're like, how are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we're waiting for these Yanks to show up and they're well, well, we're we're Yanks. What? <laughs> Are you coming to slaughter us? And they're like, actually, no. Like, I, do you not have any idea what's going on here? And they're like, no. You need some water. <laughs> Throughout the Civil War, yeah. his units in both the Forty Second and Twentieth Ohio covered an incredible amount of ground on foot. Relatively terrible conditions. I don't know if you've ever been to like Southern Tennessee. It's been a while, but yeah. So it can get hot. Yeah. Also mountainous, mm-hmm. right? So they're just trudging along like 25, 30 miles a day. Gosh. Barefoot Oof. sometimes uh, going through these mountains. He also was Gosh. known for folding his hat into an M shape. So think about the top of the hat. He kind of like rolled okay. it. Okay. Um, I would think that it probably, for those of you that are in the military listening, looked similar to what we call a ranger roll now. Okay. So you would roll the outsides in and have like kind of a roll and then the middle kind of humps and right. it naturally has a curve in the I middle. I can see so that looks in like my mind's end. eye. So his soldiers liked him so much, they started forming their hats in the way he formed his. Nice. So it became like a, like a famous way to... That's cool. ...to... Make your hat. Did he have a nickname while he was in the army? Do you, do you know that? Of, of I would nickname? assume no. There's some I don't good know. army nicknames out there. Yeah, I don't know that he did, but I would assume based on the reverence his soldiers had yeah. for him, it was mostly sir. Old M head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he like would show up yeah. to battles with uh, you know puke on his sweatshirt, mom spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. M. 
Uh, We're in Southern Tennessee. Went uh, home yeah. for sick leave for a little, little while. Ran for Congress okay. <laughs> during the just, war. Just uh, was in Washington for a little bit. Do-do-do. Became close with Sam and Chase. Wasn't actually a huge fan Sa- of Lincoln. First of all, Sam and Chase sounds like a 1950s or like a 1960s surf duo. <laughs> I don't understand. Here's the new hit from Sam oh, and Chase. Okay, everyone's Music. surfing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just just theremin. It's just a Beach Boys ripoff. <laughs> Okay, all right. So Theremin Chase. Salomon Chase. All right, so ends up becoming Rosecrans' chief of staff. And who's Rosecrans? Uh, At the time, I believe he was the uh, chief of the Army of the Potomac. Cumberland, I think. I have the notes, but I'm just saying for the listeners' help, yeah. Rosecrans. Yeah, Rosecrans. Probably, what, second or third in command of the Union Army. Right? Like, that's probably the the best way of putting it. Didn't he have the choice to go in and get glory in battle or stay and be his chief of staff? Garfield. Garfield. Yeah, he had the choice to either go command, like, a division or... Correct. And he took it. Yeah. Like, this was after he was chief of staff. They were like, do you want to go back out? And he said yes. Yes. Okay. So, as we go into the Battle of Chickamauga, a couple of important things to remember. So, the Battle of Chickamauga is probably the second bloodiest battle of the Civil War behind Gettysburg. Gettysburg? Okay. Yeah. Takes place mostly around the Chattanooga area. Okay. Fun fact, my basic training company, when I went through basic training, was Delta Company 219. Okay. And our motto was the Rock of Chickamauga. Uh Ah. Based on this battle. So there You're are... You're right. That was a fun <clears throat> fact. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So there's... In, in the military, according to ADP 3-90, there's four characteristics of the offense. Audacity, concentration, surprise, and tempo. Wow. We lost Russ. Russ, wake up. Wake These, these up, are Russ. just things you learn throughout going through school in the military. Okay. All right. <laughs> like, typically, if you want to be a good officer, you need to be able to, to formulate plans that put all four of these into place at once. What were the four again? Audacity, concentration, surprise, and tempo. Okay. Uh, Garfield put all of his eggs in the audacity basket. (laughs) (laughs) I want the egg. I want the egg. So it was probably to his detriment. However, I think you could argue that some of his plans would have worked had they been able to, like basically every meeting they were in, he was like, I don't know, why don't we run after him and shoot him? I've got these wooden blocks. <laughs> this guy's got to check them out. And his superiors were like, eh, calm down, James. Easy and he's there. like, I, I'm pretty sure, mm. pretty sure we can go after him and shoot him. And they were like, eh, maybe just chill out for a second, just keep James. rolling your hat and doing it. So this kind of comes to a head at the Battle of Chickamauga. Okay. So he's verse Bragg, right? And okay. Bragg, now famously Fort Bragg, yes. named after this sure, Confederate sure, general. Yeah. And he had already defeated Bragg at Tullahoma, okay. the uh, famous Black Keys album. And no, that's Chulahoma. I'm just kidding. He wanted, after Tullahoma, he wanted to continue to pursue and destroy Bragg's army. Okay. Uh, audacity. Yeah. And his commanders were like, nah, rein it back a little, James. So he ends up at Chigamaga. His unit gets separated from the other unit that's fighting. He jumps on his horse because he needs to go tell the other unit what's going on because they're about to get ambushed and completely overrun. So instead of sending maybe a, a another person, he decides oh, yeah, to go do it himself. Because they're still actively engaged. Wow. He legit goes across this giant open field. And if you've ever gone through Chattanooga, like I think it's important, like as I was reading this, I was trying to picture it and I'm pretty sure I've driven just past this exact location. Like you're going over the river because the Confederates, they were basically camping in the mountains. So they had the high ground and they had cover because there were bushes and things like and that. And it was the mountain terrain. I would and then there was imagine. the river in between okay. them, the yeah. two forces. When you're coming south into Chattanooga mm-hmm. and heading towards the mountain, you can see this giant open field on the mm. left, and then the mountain just past it, okay. and knowing the rivers in between. like It is an absolutely insane thing to think about somebody just riding a horse <laughs> willy-nilly across this wow. open field wow. to go warn people about it. Wow. He ends up doing it. He takes like three or four people with him. And I'm going to get some facts wrong because I'm no longer reading off my notes. Each of those people get shot one by one till he's the only one left. And he ends up getting there. And it turns out that once he got there and warned, I think it was Thomas, uh, General Thomas. Thomas kind of already had things under control. Mm. But it became this huge story moving forward, especially once he started running for president because ah, it was this really okay. big act of heroism. And whether or not Thomas had it under control when he got there at the 
the fact that he did it is yeah. absolutely insane. D- would he have to then return across the same field? Oh, no, because he okay. wanted to fight. Like, he uh, got over there. And he was like, let's do this. Somebody yeah. give me a gun. Let's go. <laughs> like, I've been practicing this with my blocks. He got as excited as I do when I see a chipmunk outside of my kitchen window, and I'm like, get the pellet gun. <laughs> <laughs> He's on our turf. <laughs> Wow. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, if you're a private in general. Uh, oh, this guy. At this point, a, was he a major general? I don't, uh, I don't know off okay. the top of my head. At least Either way, yeah. if you're lower enlisted or even a junior officer at this yeah. point and you see that happen, like that dude is God to you. Yeah. You're like, that's my guy. Yeah. Yeah. That it, I'll follow him wherever he wants 100%. me to go. hundred percent. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. You're running through brick walls for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as I was reading it, I was like, yeah, yeah, yes. let's do this. Let's ah, go. Ah. Way to go, James. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, so anyway, really cool. that was that was Blaine's yeah. uh, seven-minute rant. Man, you did a great job. I'll drink Civil to War that. Battlefield. Cheers, man. Good job. Way to go. I don't usually go that long it's by fantastic. myself. President Lincoln convinces Garfield to resign his military post so he could devote his time to advocating for Ohio in the House in 1863. Uh, After all, it was easier to find major generals than to obtain effective Republicans for Congress. Garfield repeatedly won re-election for 18 years and became the leading Republican in the House. When he started, he was pretty radical. Then he got a little bit more tempered and kind of learned the political game in Washington. Well, so there was a thing about him as a congressman and and also leading into his his presidency that he he had his belief system and in my brain he had a level of character that he wasn't going to besmirch for party wow that's a five dollar word right there blaine besmirch yeah wow uh, you went to college didn't you you think you're better than me <laughs> right we all know that you went to college yeah <laughs> so he was actually known when he was a congressman for not being a good partisan. He was actually the sole congressman to vote against the draft bill. Basically, the bill was like, should we pay people to encourage them to volunteer for the army? Okay. And he was like, no. Like, Mm. they should do it for reasons, not money, right? Yeah. Oddly enough, that vote happened on January 6th. Ah. (laughs) Might be a a date that means something later. Yeah. But no, he was actually like, he just, whenever he felt strongly about something, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter what his party said he should vote for. He voted for his own convictions and his character. And and for good or for bad, I credit, right? Like, I think that's something that you probably don't see very much anymore. You you see like you have to vote for whatever your party votes for right. rather than what you feel is right. All 100% give him credit for doing that yep. all the way through his presidency. Yeah, I think when Johnson was getting impeached too, he wasn't at first a big fan of how it was going down. I also know when... You're Gl- saying Johnson wasn't a big fan of him getting impeached. I can see that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Garfield. That's what you said. You said when Johnson was getting impeached, <laughs> okay, he wasn't I, a big fan of it going down. Garfield you know who was. else wasn't a big fan of getting impeached? Richard Nixon. That's true. He was not. He was like, oh, what if I'm dip, out. What if I dip out early? <laughs> uh, Garfield also, I don't know how many other Republicans in the House voted against this, but when Grant was pushing the, I can't remember the name of the... Was it payment. Uh, no, I think it was the was it the Ku Klux Klan Act or maybe the bill. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. He, he yeah. voted against it because he was, whereas he was on the side of, okay, yes, we're, we're considering these white supremacist terrorists in the South yeah. as horrible people, but he, he wasn't comfortable with the amount of powers that it gave the president to basically skirt by habeas corpus and do as he wished. So Garfield... Man, that's, while I feel like that's fair, I feel like there are certain statements that you don't want to throw a butt after. And right. one of them is yeah, the but, Ku Klux Klan is bad. But, <laughs> yeah, we don't, don't want to do that. You yeah. don't, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's not so, a great look. He was also, in 1876, this was interesting, he was a member of that 15-man committee that awarded the presidential election to Rutherford B. Hayes. Oh, he was the deciding over, vote. Over Tilden, yeah. Yeah, he was the deciding. He actually, I think, was the main vote. Like, I think he, he was not necessarily a deciding vote. Like, yeah. his was the one that, the only one that held weight. 
Like he was allowed to come in and listen to the votes, look at everything and say, right. this is what we're doing. And it, again, you can go back one episode and listen to it. But if, Although I don't know if we did a great job of explaining well, it. Well, Tilden so. had won the popular vote right. and was just one electoral vote shy of winning the presidency and basically became known as the did, Compromise of 1877. Yeah, I mean, depending on how you look at it, he either yeah. upheld voting rights mm-hmm. or he completely smashed the idea of democracy. I mean, it depends on what side. I, I mean, I'm, That's at, one the way time, to put it. Yeah. at the time, at the time, right, right, right. I'm sure that those are the two sides people took at. Because yeah. you had people going well. We had groups of people literally stopping other groups of people yep. from voting, and then you had another side of the coin saying, "Well, they lost, and now they're saying it doesn't matter. They won." So, yeah. We're going to debate this vehemently amongst ourselves. Yeah, no, and I'm not, I'm our not trying to debate. I'm just saying <laughs> I know, I know. Those are the, that's probably how it was seen at yeah. the time. Yeah, we are going to let you hear from one of our fantastic sponsors. Refresh our beverages. Uh, you're listening to episode 20, The Preacher of the Presidential Podcast. Hey, guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were 16 and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson riding a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your order set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. Welcome back to episode 20, brought to you by GreeksPizzeria.com. In 1876, Garfield acquired his mentor Ohio home to accommodate his growing family. After all, from 1860 through 74, his wife Lucretia had had eight pregnancies. Gosh, that's a lot of children. The sprawling lawn was nicknamed by reporters who covered his upcoming front porch campaign (laughs) for the presidency as Lawnfield was the name of his home. Lawnfield. Hmm. Garfield is the only person in American history to be a U.S. representative, a senator-elect, and a president-elect all at the same time. Here's the story of how this happened. The year is 1880, and the Republican convention is being held in Chicago. There had been three contenders for the office of president within the Republican Party, Ulysses S. Grant of Ohio, James Blaine of Maine, and John Sherman from Ohio, for whom Garfield campaigned. John Sherman was William Tecumseh Sherman's younger brother. So the convention is dragging on, and there are some hints getting dropped that perhaps Garfield would be a good candidate for the office. But Garfield himself quickly put a damper on those ideas. He said, I don't want it. I've, Sherman is my guy. And he was actually going to give his nominating speech at the convention. Go ahead, Blaine. Also, yeah, that speech led to his president's candidacy. Exactly. And Sherman never forgave him for that. Yeah. <laughs> it was not good was, after yeah. that. He was like, you were supposed to be campaigning for me. You weren't supposed you, to be. Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't until another nominating speech by senior New York Senator Roscoe Conkling for Grant. Conkling's speech so invigorated the convention in Chicago that Garfield's spirits also soared, as he later recalled. When it was his turn to speak, he was immersed in the enthusiasm of the moment and gave a speech that brought the entire floor to its feet in applause. That's one you just mentioned. After the nominating speeches were given, some delegates approached Garfield in an attempt to get him to throw his hat in the ring, but he again refused. He said, nope. He said, no, nah, fam. 
Nope. Not gonna do it. Not, not gonna do it. He was the first one <laughs> to say not gonna die. Yeah, Dana Carvey famously uh, did him on SNL. So the balloting begins, and it would take well over 30 votes without a clear winner, and uh, drags on for another day with similar results. Then on the 34th ballot, delegates from Wisconsin cast 16 of their 18 votes for Garfield. It came as a shock to him. He immediately rose for a point of order asking if a man could be nominated that didn't wish to be nominated. And they were like, oh, no, we nominated you, don't you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you're our guy. You're a guy there. Oh, you're, yeah, you you're want great. Some, you want some cheese? Oh, we love you, don't you know? <laughs> you should come up to Kenosha sometime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's beautiful for the three days in the summer. <laughs> Oh, sorry, that's our Holsteins. <laughs> that's Bessie. We, she loves ya. <laughs> okay, the chair refused to acknowledge the point, and the balloting continues. At the end of that ballot, the standings had actually changed, but not enough to declare a winner. So another vote was ordered, the 36th. This time, Garfield won in a stampede. 399 votes for Garfield, more than enough to become the Republican candidate. He never wanted to become a candidate. He was never nominated to be a candidate, and he never campaigned to become the Republican nominee. Yet here he is, the Republican candidate for the office of president of the United States. Famously said, few men in the history of our country have ever obtained the presidency by planning to obtain it. Hmm, that's a good quote. Uh, another quote Although, he said, he said this honor comes to me unsought. I have never had the presidential fever, not even for a day. I had malaria once when I fell into the canal in Ohio 14 times. He's about to get another fever. <laughs> yeah, he is. So, Conkling's uh, friend and protege, Chester Arthur, uh, who was the former customs collector of the Port of New York, received the party's nomination for vice president with Garfield's endorsement. Conkling warned Arthur against accepting the slot, predicting Garfield's defeat, and he urged him to, quote, drop it as you would a red-hot shoe from the forge. What? Yeah. Hold on. It was the, it was the first thing drop it while it's do? hot. Drop okay. it while it's hot. So this is just a, like a normal saying. Drop like, it. Drop it like a red hot shoe from, from the, the forge. forge. So there were multiple people just grabbing shoes from forges and be like, ah, that's hot. Never mind. <laughs> Shouldn't <laughs> have grabbed <laughs> probably, uh, probably horseshoes, I would think. A red oh, hot shoe. Okay. Now it makes sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you thought they were just like pulling yeah, like converses how is the out shoe of the not fire. A flame? Yeah, right. Like, okay. Yeah. This is yeah. why we don't look at history through our 21st century. Sure. <laughs> okay. Makes way more sense. Yeah, now. thanks. Well, right. Arthur responded to Conkling that, quote, the office of the vice president is a great honor that I have ever dreamed of attaining. His nomination had been organized behind Garfield's back and Garfield reluctantly approved, knowing that he needed support from that region to emerge victorious. Which region? The Conkling. Yeah, what, Conkling, New York. New York. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. yeah, the faction was known as the yeah. Stalwarts. Roscoe. Yeah. Garfield Famous. went... Huh? Yeah, it's some really good chicken and waffles. God, I knew you were going there. <laughs> Before you even said it, I knew you were going there. Great, now I want chicken. Garfield went on to win the presidency decisively in the Electoral College with 214 votes, but won by the popular vote by fewer than 2,000 votes. Mostly, he won because he put a lot of focus in Indiana. Hey, there uh, it is. He campaigned hard here because this was known as a swing state at the time. He almost lost the election due to not being strong enough against Chinese immigration. Uh, there was a forged letter mm-hmm. that made its way around the West Coast. So yeah. at the time, we're, we're talking like 49er time on the West Coast, right? No, this is like 1876, 1880. Right. So they're already there. Oh, yes, I see what you're saying. Uh, yes, and thank you. So there's Chinese immigration coming into like the what we now know as San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. And he there was a forged letter. I don't remember exactly what it said that was basically like, no, they're fine. Yeah. And people were like, how dare he say that? Yeah. It didn't news. hurt him as much as yes. they thought it would. That's right. He won only by 2,000 votes. I mean, this is the smallest margin of victory in U.S. history within the popular vote. Defeating the Democratic nominee, and another famous Civil War is it general. Is smaller than negative? So it's not the smallest. <laughs> No, it's greater than negative. Okay, so it's not the smallest popular no, vote victory. No, no. All right. General Winfield Scott Hancock, uh, the Democratic Old nominee. Old Fuss and Feathers. Was that the same? Was it the Winfield? Oh, no, no. Winfield Scott is, yeah, he was He was Gettysburg. Fuss and Feathers. Winfield no, Scott. Winfield but, Scott Hancock was a general at Gettysburg. Okay. Yeah, different Winfield Scott. There it is. 
To date, Garfield is the only sitting member of the U.S. House of Representatives to be elected president. Hmm. So it's his inauguration, which was actually the first to feature the use of electricity. Yes, Blaine. Do you remember where his inauguration ball was? I don't. It was at the brand new opening of the Smithsonian Museum. Ah, that's cool. Yeah. That's pretty fun. He was the first one to have it there. Well, obviously it was new. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. First use of electricity. All right. So at his inauguration, he celebrates the dissolution of slavery and called it, quote, the most important political change since the Constitution. Besides that, his address was anything but electric. In one high point during his address, Garfield emphasized the civil rights of African-Americans, saying, quote, freedom can never yield its fullness of blessings so long as the law or its administration places the smallest obstacle in the pathway of any virtuous citizen. After discussing the gold standard, the need for education and an unexpected denunciation of Morgan polygamy. What did I just say? Mormon. Mormon. Mormon, not Morgan. Morgan polygamy. (laughs) That's when I met Andy. And and Andy's sister. And Andy's sister's sister. Sister wives on TLC. Tuesdays at 8 Eastern Time. Morgan polygamy. I played Kevin Costner's sidekick in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Anyway, the speech ends and the crowd went mild. With that voice. I mean. it, was, it was a very tepid, like, is he done? What did he just... Did yeah. he just Great announce? Shot. Oh, Great wow, shot. wow. All right. Garfield's mother was the first president's mother to attend her son's inauguration. He kissed, really? Yeah. Huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. I don't... And actually, he kissed her before kissing Lucretia upon being sworn in. Drama huh. ensued back home. I, oh man, that doesn't seem right. Why? Well, I mean, I believe you, but I just, I feel like I remember other presidents' mothers being there. No? Yeah. She was the first. Okay. I don't All even right. know her name, I mean, but she was yeah. there. Shout out to James Garfield's old Mrs. Mom. Garfield. Mrs. Yeah, Madam. Oh, wait, like, no, it was Eliza. Yeah. Eliza Garfield. Like, and it was on a Monday, and she was like, ugh. ugh. <laughs> don't try to get me to they go on a diet. lasagna Aww. at the ball. <laughs> Let's get into his presidency. As a supporter of civil rights, Garfield appointed formerly enslaved people to his administration, including Frederick Douglass as recorder of deeds for the District of Columbia. He also recommended a universal education system funded by the federal government that would be free to all Americans. So that's something that we have James Garfield to thank for. Yeah. Maybe now's a good time to talk about his vice president. Russ, you're the vice presidential expert of the three of us. Tell us about James Garfield's vice president. Yeah. I read an entire chapter on Chester A. Arthur. Thank you for oh, your service. He's he's going to come into play at some point, right? Yeah, he will. Okay. I think pretty soon, actually. Uh-huh. Okay. Chester A. Arthur was a compatriot of Roscoe Conkling. Con- yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall. I like to think of him as like a henchman. Yo, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's fair. I yeah. think that's fair. Like yeah. the penguin would be a to the skinnier Joker. Skinnier henchman. Mm-hmm. Skinnier henchman. Yeah, for a while. He was wiry. Was he? Oh, yeah. Okay. He put on some pounds, though, once large. he became... Yeah, large. Yeah. Okay. In charge. I like to imagine Chester <laughs> Arthur as a skinny person. Got it. And I'm in okay. the front row. So tell us about him. <laughs> I like to picture my Chester Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wiry little t-shirt. <laughs> it's saying, I'm, I'm formal, but I like to party. I like to think of him as kind of a wiry little fellow, like the roadrunner. <laughs> yeah. All right, go ahead, right, Russ. Anyway. You right. were saying. Like many other vice presidents... Uh-huh. When he got into office, he thought he was going to be able to recommend people to Garfield's cabinet okay, mm-hmm. on behalf of Roscoe Conkling. But, you know, Garfield had kind of a different idea there. And for all the nominations that Roscoe and Arthur brought to his attention, he shot down most of them. I would say the biggest one was Garfield wanted to Fill the Secretary of the Treasury with a Roscoe Conkling stalwart, and instead they filled it with Blaine. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Secretary of the Treasury Blaine. Yep, that's probably my biggest piece of my resume. Congratulations! That and being part of the Indiana State University relay, (laughs) for which you hold a record. Actually, it's not you; it's Blaine Simmerman. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Actually. (laughs) Actually, actually, hold on. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, seriously. But mm. when I meant Secretary of the Treasury, I did mean Secretary of the State. Uh, <laughs> Blame Secretary of the State. I just got promoted. Gosh. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Can't take you anywhere, Russ. <laughs> After he had rebuked any of Conkling's nominations, uh-huh. it really, on day one, left Arthur and Conkling and Garfield kind of estranged. Mm. They had basically no sway in the administration. And because of that... Conkling and another senator from New York, Platt, as a show of force, decided to resign their Senate seats. Mm. They wanted to resign their Senate seats, go back to New York, and then run for re-election to show how much political power they had in New York. Okay. No, I get that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. It's a bold move. You know who else got that? Who? Chester A. Arthur. Uh, Because he went with him. Oh. Yeah. Wait. Yep. He was going to resign the vice presidency? No, 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 no. He was still vice president. He was in all the powers of the vice president, but Conkling went back to New York. So his henchman, Chester A. Arthur, went with him because, you know, there was henchman type stuff to do. He had to (laughs) work on his reelection campaign. He had to arrange travel and election dates and, I don't know, sign documents, whatever he had to do. But he would go back to Washington on the weekends to do his vice presidential stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. It's really all you need. Um, what's interesting is, as we'll find next episode, Arthur had somewhat of a change of heart and somewhat of a falling out with Conkling. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he really Um, did. Platt, who was the other senator from New York that was working on a re-election bid that honestly wasn't working out very well. Yeah. Like, they didn't have the political power they thought they would have in New York. They thought they would have this wave of support to Mm. push them back into the Senate. Platt suddenly dropped his bid for Senate re-election after one of his Republican foes got a stepladder, peered through an open window of a hotel room. Oh, yeah. Uh Okay. And he saw... What was he doing in the hotel room, Russ? Well, he was doing something with someone who was not his wife. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Which was a real scandal at the time. Hmm. Uh, now it, it's fine. Now it's fine. <laughs> encouraged. <Yeah. laughs> Almost encouraged. Yeah. The story swept through New York, but... They kept Pla- it there. They did not keep it there. Oh, okay. No, 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 it, no, no, no. it spread throughout. Platt resigned. Well, he resigned from his re-election bid. Mm-hmm. Arthur and Conkling, you know, held firm that they were still going to move forward. And on the same day that happened, Garfield was boarding a train to Williams oh. College. <sighs> and that's we where we will... Thank Russ for his service. Russ, thank you. Uh, that was, I mean, we'll, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Chester Arthur in a couple of weeks. We sure will. That was fine work, Russ. Hey, thanks. Thank you. There is one Indiana connection with James Garfield. Actually, there's two that we'll get one we'll get to now. Jim. We'll get to later. Yep. Stay there. Okay. Okay. So Garfield's foreign policy activities while he was president were pretty limited to filling vacant diplomatic positions, one of which was most notably his appointment of Lewis Wallace, a former Union general. Oh, general Lou Wallace. And popular author from Crawfordsville, Indiana. He assigned him to the post of minister to the Ottoman Empire. Uh, modern-day Turkey, Garfield had hoped that Wallace might write a novel equal to his bestseller Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ, based on his experiences in the region. Wallace... Wait, is that what Ben-Hur's about? Oh, Ben-Hur is about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, about... Huh. Jesu Christe. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did, I've read the book. I knew... Yeah. I've seen the there's movie, There's a movie, too. right? Like, uh-huh. the, I, there's, a, there's chariots and stuff. Oh, yeah. Charles Some guy yeah. died doing that. Yeah, really? It, it was like... I, I didn't mean, before know special effects. Jesus. Yeah. Huh. Oh, there's a really cool scene in the movie and the book. Why is it called Ben-Hur? I just assumed it was about Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur is the name of the Jewish protagonist in the... No, wait, is he Roman or is he Jewish? He's, he's Roman. Yeah, it's it's set in Jerusalem. Did not know that. I guess I should have watched that movie. Or listened to our podcast. No, we definitely didn't talk about that. We are now. Yeah, okay. When will then be now? All Soon. right. Anyway, uh, Wallace uh, did research while in Constantinople. Istanbul. Formerly Istanbul. That's nobody's business but the Turks. (laughs) Which became the locale for his book, The Prince of India, which he began writing in 1887. So I want to do, I'm putting this out He wrote the campaign biography for Benjamin Uh Harrison. Yeah, back in the day, there were a lot of campaign biographies that, now granted, if it was propaganda or accurate, that's 
it was more propaganda. But anyway, yes, he did write Benjamin Harrison's campaign biography. So that's our fun little Indiana connection. And I think I want to do a bonus episode on Lou Wallace because there's a lot of really cool stuff in his story and the Indiana connection. So fair. We'll do it. Anyway, we're going to refresh our uh, El Presidente beers from Garfield Brewery here in Indianapolis and let you hear from another of our sponsors. You're listening to episode 20, The Preacher of the Presidential Podcast. Blaine, you look different. Did you get a haircut? Oh, I did. Thanks for asking. Oh, it looks nice. People have been noticing more often since I've started going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Say that one more time. Uh, people have noticed more often since I've been going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Chop Chop. Yeah. It's this super cool, very clean spot over by 16th and College area. Oh, yeah. 16th and Yandis, if you will. Okay, I will here uh, in Indy. Yeah, super cool building, old school style barbershop. Anthony always fades me up well. He leads this diverse team of three other barbers all three of my kids get their haircuts there even my wife gets her haircut oh they do ladies cuts too. from you know fades to braids and everything in between i love that and if i wanted more info where could i go i would check out personally chopchopbarbers.com okay chopchopbarbers.com from fades to braids to kitty cuts to the coolest barbershop there is I don't want to look bad, so, so I'm going to go to Chop Chop Barbershop. Yeah. yeah. Doop, doop. Yeah. Welcome back to episode 20 brought to you by GreeksPizzeria.com. A former Garfield supporter named Charles Gateau was erroneously convinced that Garfield owed him a European ambassadorship to France after his letters and drop-ins were ignored by the administration for months. Gute- James Blaine, like. Was the famous He gave him the Heisman. Yeah, yeah, he was like, yeah. stay over there, guy. This isn't going to happen. Gave him the Heisman. That's, that's an yeah. L no, that's fine. Term. That's yeah. my dad. Yeah. No, it's he, fair. He buys a, a British Bulldog revolver for 10 bucks. Goes and tries it out. Do you know like why he bought that gun? No. Do you remember? Uh-uh. He thought it would look good in a museum one day. Well, I knew that he like toured the prison before. Yeah. And like toured his own prison cell. Yeah. And was like, tested out the bed and was like, uh-huh. this will work. But he was convinced he would save the Republican Party. He, yeah. He, he was a stalwart. He was yeah, a big fan was of, like, of... The problem with the Republican Party is James Garfield. Mm-hmm. And if I get rid of him, I'll save it and they'll thank me. And I'll be in this jail for a little bit and then they'll give me... Not only will they thank me, but I am doing God's work. Yeah. Do you have a little bit of backstory? Or maybe, Russ, do you have a little bit of backstory about think- Guteau? Either one of you? This is better served as a bonus episode. Ooh, like yeah, we'll that. be doing a bonus episode on Guteau. And if yeah. you want to get that bonus episode, become a tier two patron at patreon.com slash So Garfield is on his way to a summer vacation with two of his boys, 17-year-old Harry and 16-year-old Jim. He enters the 6th Street train station in Washington, D.C. on July 2nd, 1881, where Guteau shoots him twice. He had expected to be arrested immediately, Gateau that is, and was wearing his best suit. He had his shoes shine that morning, and he even told the cabbie who who got him there, he said, I'll be right back. That didn't exactly work out I'll that way. I'll be back. In his coat pocket, there was a letter explaining his motivation, and two bullets struck President Garfield, one in the arm, one in the back. Now, no vital organs were hit, but the bullet in Garfield's back remained lodged just behind his pancreas. If the bullet had been left alone, Garfield probably would have been just fine. Instead, 12 different doctors show With up. unwashed hands. Good grief. Just they, let me stick my fingers in Just there. hold on. Let me get mine in. <laughs> yeah. Constant yeah. unwashed hands. And not to mention, he's on the dirty train station yeah. floor. And so at the time... Every doctor is like, no, I got this. <sighs> I got it, guys. Yeah, you need to wash your hands. No, it's fine. This is emergency. Antiseptic medical uh, environment, like the whole concept of sterilization was being promoted at the time, but it really wasn't being widely accepted. No one thought he was going to survive the night. As a matter of fact, when he was shot, he I think he said, my God, what is this? And Guto (laughs) shot him again, and then he crumpled to the floor. He was like, oh, it's a bullet. Oh, that's what it is. So they take him back to the White House, where actually the president lingers there all summer. It's like three or four months. Yeah, Yeah. long time where he's, I mean, this is kind of this case of like. He comes back, and then he dips, and he comes back and dips. A little bit of foreshadowing. Cabinet meetings in the like hospital room or whatever. Yeah, foreshadowing to to Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. His doctors continued to try to find the bullet. They even enlisted Alexander Graham Bell. Who invented the uh, metal detector. That's right. Trying to find the bullet. Do you know why he couldn't find the bullet? Because he was too fat? Nope. (laughs) 
Russ. Was it the mattress springs? It was. Oh. Now, metal coil mattress springs were not widely popular at the time, but the president had one, and he's like, this is throwing off my new invention. So Also, well, so, yeah, if you're on the beaches of Florida yeah. trying to find stuff in the sand, like, thank Alexander Graham Bell and mm-hmm. thank James Garfield, Garfield getting shot. Don't also, thank Charles Guteau, though. Air conditioning was invented due to this ah. because Navy engineers in, invented like a very crude version of air conditioning to keep the hospital room cool while he was recovering. This is why I love this podcast. Yeah. Because I learned fun so things like the metal detector and air yep. conditioning are both brought to you by Charles Guto. Maybe the only good things that he did. Yeah. <laughs> On September 6th, I mean, gosh, how many months after the fact? This was, he was shot in July, like July 2nd. On September 6th, so two months later, Garfield asked to be taken to the New Jersey seaside by train. At the cottage on a bluff overlooking the beach, special train tracks had Let to be me laid. Just gym tan and laundry one more time. <laughs> GTO, baby. You can't spell GTO without G in Garfield. I need to see the situation once more. I spent nine months of my life singing in Atlantic City. Okay. And I can tell you that it sounds as depressing <laughs> as they what I just said. wanted to spend his last moments there. <sighs> yeah. Well, so they laid special train tracks so the train car could get as close as possible to the front door of where he was staying. For two weeks, Garfield languished in bed as his caregivers attempted to remove the projectile, but succeeded only in worsening an incision that had already been made in his stomach and then the accompanying blood infection. Uh, to make matters worse, his, his doctors effectively starved him. Some of his favorite food, which was basically steak dinners, were replaced with <laughs> eggs, milk, whiskey, and opium. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, wow. that makes sense. That actually sounds like the Jersey yeah. Shore. Um, <laughs> he had a heart attack, a blood infection, and an artery in his spleen ruptured. I mean, this guy is not doing well. No. He drops a hundred pounds in a matter of weeks. A hundred pounds, leaving him just one hundred thirty pounds on his six foot frame when he finally died in Elberon, New Jersey, on September nineteenth, eighteen eighty one, roughly eighty days after being shot, becoming the nation's second president to be assassinated. Garfield's last words were to his chief of staff. Oh, Swaim, there is a pain here. Swaim, can't you stop this? Oh, oh, Swaim. Then he died. Garfield served only seven months in office, the second shortest tenure after ninth president, William Henry Harrison, and he was the first president to die before the age of 50. Devastated by the loss of another president, Americans responded by erecting a 180-foot-tall memorial in Lakeview Cemetery in Cleveland, Ohio. It remains one of the most elaborate presidential monuments to this day, with mosaics, stained glass windows, statues, and granite columns. So far, it's the only memorial that puts a presidential casket next to that of his wife on full display. Crete. Crete. Lucretia yeah. is buried there, and I think their daughter and son-in-law are inurned. They were very well. close family, and they kept everything yeah. very tight-knit post-president. Yeah. I mean, Garfield as a president is remembered mostly as a martyr. Like, I mean, all of us knew only about him that he was yeah. killed. He really did give his life for his country. It would be interesting to see what the rest of his presidency would have been like and had Chester Arthur not then succeeded him. We do this every episode, according to the C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, which they had a new one come out in 2021 recently. Okay. Garfield currently... Did change his ranking? Huh? Did it change... His I think by one or two. Okay. Uh, he currently sits at number 27 okay. below Jimmy Carter and above Gerald Ford. Middle of the road. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 27. How would you complete this sentence? And I'll, I'll extend this to you as well, Russ. James Garfield is the reason the United States of America... Won the Battle of Chickamauga. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's fair. I think, yeah. Russ, what about you? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things... Got Chester Arthur as a president? Yeah. 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 It's kind of it. I mean, tons of stuff before the presidency. Yeah. It's interesting. Yes. Not a lot of stuff as president. I mean, there was just, there was a lot of infighting. Like I said, he was somebody of character that voted for what he believed in against his party. But yeah, not, not a lot that we can 
move forward with. Yeah. Let's go into little known facts. We love this segment mm-hmm. and we've heard from so many of you that you do as well. Garfield was the first president to use what was known as a front porch campaign strategy and the first to campaign in multiple languages. He often spoke in German with German Americans he encountered along the campaign trail. But William Henry Harrison did a front porch strategy. Didn't he have like the big like the ball that he would like carry through town or his supporter? Didn't they have like a well, maybe you're that? right. Maybe maybe I'm just getting things jumbled. Maybe That's I'm okay. thinking of Benjamin Harrison. Well, Benjamin Harrison certainly yeah. had one. Uh, Warren G. Harding, another future president Regulator. from Ohio. <laughs> from Ohio, he had one. McKinley mm-hmm. as well had one. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that Garfield chose to have his campaign instead of out on the trail. He had it mostly at his home. Because he didn't really want to leave his wife and kids. I'm saying he didn't really want to leave his family. Sure. Lucretia was one of the first presidential candidate's wives to appear on a campaign poster. Currently in the collection of the Smithsonian Institute. Which was where he had his... His inaugural ball. His inaugural ball. Garfield was also the first Southpaw president. Oh, he was left-handed. He was. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go on a tangent of where the word Southpaw comes from? I mean, you do. Russ so. is yeah, yeah, Russ yeah, yeah. is vigorously yeah. nodding. Well, according to Miriam Webster, third cousin of Daniel Webster, Daniel, yep. <laughs> a popular theory holds that Southpaw comes from the one-time position of baseball parks in relation to the sun. Supposedly, oh. late 19th century ballparks were laid out so that the pitcher looked in a westerly direction when facing the batter. The throwing arm of a left-handed pitcher, therefore, would then be the south, hence the name South Paw. Makes However, sense. the term was used as early as 1848 to describe simply the left hand or a punch given with the left hand. Today, we often use Southpaw as a good-natured term for a left-handed person, but the word is sometimes viewed as stigmatizing by left-handed people who are easily triggered. Yeah. <laughs> by the Find word something Southpaw. else to be mad about. Yeah, oh, my exactly. gosh. Garfield was the first, and I, I would imagine maybe only, ambidextrous president. It is said that you Amphibious, could... Amphibious, a- I think is the word you're looking for. He lived on both land and sea. Yeah. <laughs> It was said that you could ask Garfield a question in English and he could write the answer in Greek with one hand and at the same time write the answer in Latin with the other. He kind of used it as like a party trick. I feel like that's way further past ambidextrous. (laughs) It's it's like a show off (laughs) ambidextrous. You could do both things with both hands in different languages. Yeah, that's further. There's another word for that. Almost savant. Yeah. 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 We had mentioned a little of this uh, before, but he was the only president to date to ever have been an ordained preacher. Mm -hmm. And while he was in office, his denomination, the Disciples of Christ, had a lot of national notoriety, obviously, uh, being brought to it. His favorite food? Take a guess. Steak. Okay. Russ? Ice cream. Oyster ice cream, maybe? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the one. Mm -hmm. Nope. Squirrel soup. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) He was known for eating just about anything, but the the one food he hated was oatmeal. According to a favorite story told by his constituents, Garfield was once quoted upon being informed that Native American chief Sitting Bull was starving himself to protest his imprisonment at the time as saying, quote, let him starve. Then, after thinking for a moment, he said, oh, no, 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 send him my oatmeal. Oh. Hated oatmeal. How nice of you. Yeah, how nice. Blaine, you had mentioned this a little earlier in the episode. Only two times in American history have there been three presidents in the same year. The first, do you remember? Van Buren, okay. Harrison, yep. and Tyler. Good job. 1841. The second, of course, was in 1881 when Hayes relinquished the office to Garfield. When Garfield died later that year, Arthur Arthur became president. Also, I'd like to point out, I got this right the last time you brought it up. Good job. It feels a little bit like a Jeopardy question, too. It does. Yeah. Yeah. James Garfield loved triangles. Here we go, Russ. (laughs) Like the musical (laughs) instrument? No, the the geometric shape. So much later. so facto, he liked a musical instrument. (laughs) Yeah. 
So much later, in 1940, a book was published containing 300 proofs of the Pythagorean theorem. Oh, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That's right. Yeah. The hypotenuse. Uh-huh. That was a big Garfield. He was a stan. He loved the Pythagorean Yep, Pythagorean theme. It's hard to say. Yeah, it is. So one of those 370 proofs came from former president James Garfield, who discovered a unique proof of the theorem using a trapezoid. Okay. Which I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I don't don't either. It's not a triangle. He's ambidextrous. Okay. He's certainly brave. I mean, like a a war veteran. But he just loves geometry. Maybe yeah. that came from the the time teaching at the eclectic oh yeah Institute. eclectic. It was very eclectic of him to come it up really with the trapezoid was. to come up with a way to denounce the Pythagorean theorem. No, prove it. Enhance. Enhance. Okay. Sure, I'll accept that. Why well, you went from denounce to enhance? And well, like, I was trying to make sure. Yeah. No, I get it. It was it was a question. You did use the word besmirch earlier. <laughs> His two younger sons, Irvin and Abe, were once renowned for their boisterous escapades during Dad's presidency. In fact, Irvin was known as the terror of the White House mm. for riding his bicycle around the halls. Oh, how dare the, he! Of the executive mansion. He's like the kid in The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you thought, Russ? He was like, all work and no play. <laughs> Garfield's death was actually a turning point in the history of American medicine. Here's why. Yeah, they were like, wash your damn hands. <laughs> it also raised awareness, besides, yes, that, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 you know, antiseptic stuff. It also raised awareness of the lack of trained nursing care in America, resulting in the development of national standards for American nursing schools that started about the late 1890s. That was what they took away from it. Well, they were like, the doctors didn't wash their hands, but those lady nurses need more schooling. And that one guy nurse. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that that seems well, it like al- anti-feminist. It me. also led to it spurred on this trend of specialized medicine, specifically spinal cord injuries, since he was shot in the back. Yeah, once again, we're missing the point. <laughs> if you wash your hands, none of that matters. He definitely, most likely, so take that for what it's worth, would have survived had he been shot today. Well, I, I doubt that he'd be like 250 years old. Well, and he probably wouldn't be able to handle it that well at that age. Someone, <laughs> someone just kill me now. Where's Guteau? He's been dead for 100 years. Oh, God. Let me see if I can smother myself with this pillow. Uh, his kids grew up and did some cool things. A professor at Wash Prince. their hands. <laughs> Damn it. Wash your hands. Yeah. You know how dad died. They became the original Howie. Howie Mandel. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Uh, So a professor at Princeton University, president of Williams College, his dad's alma mater, Garfield's son Harry went also on to serve as fuel administrator during World War I under Woodrow Wilson. His other son Jim served as interior secretary in the cabinet of President Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. So fuel administrator. Yeah. He was like, don't set this on fire in the ocean. Don't. Don't do it. That's a thing you're not supposed to do. James Garfield, in a way, it's a little bit of a stretch, inspired the world-famous cat created by fellow Hoosier of ours, Jim Davis of Muncie, Indiana, whose grandfather, James A. Garfield Davis, had a large, cantankerous personality that inspired the flabby felines. Huh. Okay. So when he's looking for inspiration, he's thinking he's of his like, grandfather. My grandfather hate money. Straight up named James A. Yeah. Garfield Davis. So that's kind of fun. He named like, his dog Vito. Like the Sicilian Vito? Like V-I-T-O or Vito? No, no, like Vito, I'm going to Vito this. Because yeah. he gave uh, Hayes the presidency, essentially. Oh. And then pretty much immediately turned against him and started in Congress like trying to get him to kill all of these bills. <laughs> and he was so proud of that that he yeah. named his dog Vito. Huh. My beard's better than yours. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the only one I have. (laughs) It's it's all I have, too. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Presequential Podcast brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria. If you love this episode, please subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a review because that really helps us get into the ears of other listeners. Our next episode on 21st President Chester Arthur will be released on Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. In the meantime, please connect with us on all the socials at Presequential. Also, again, if you love the podcast and you want to get episodes early and ad-free and maybe even some bonus episodes, please join our Patreon 
Patreon community at patreon.com slash presequential. We hope you enjoyed episode 20, The Preacher of the Presequential Podcast.